welcome to our listeners. All this right. Is, oh, I hear it's he official, is. gang, that the music is played us in, and we're trying our game of technology. Thanks for tuning in today to the True Well Show, the best Tuesday you've had all week. Uh, I am your host, Remote, today. And Matt, I miss being in studio with you. Yeah, you, you kind of uh, had me thrown for a loop there because I started talking because I didn't hear you, and now I can, so I'm ready to go. All right, well, hey, we're, we're working this out, right? It turns out we're doing the safety protocol True Well show today, and it, I don't know how I sound to everybody on air, but... Uh, I am a relatively asymptomatic, but did manage to uh, be exposed. So we're now uh, just being safe and not coming into studio. So I'm here. Matt, you're there. I miss you. Yeah. I can't believe you trust me to run all these switches on the board, but I think I got oh, it. You just keep pushing them. Okay. You know, like lots and lots of buttons. I'm I just going to push really it till it breaks. Here. Uh, if we had more sound effects, maybe we should, you know, it's like 2022. You think we could start in like introducing sound effects into the show? I like that idea. I feel like there's potential. Well, Matt, you know, we didn't get a chance to organize this like we might, because usually we spend hours and hours in intense preparation for the program. Uh, or as we like to say, we take the, you know, years and decades of experience and then it all just kind of comes out on the air. You know, today was a weird day, uh, and maybe not. Maybe weird's not even the right word, but uh, stock market not having a good day. No, it was uh, pretty rough to say the least. Yeah, but I don't know if you're in front of the computer to pull it up. But last I checked, I want to say that just a shade less than a two percent decline for the S and P and the uh, the Dow. I think the Nasdaq was a little more than two percent. I think the Russell two thousand was like two and a half percent. Yeah, the S and P's down right? like one point eight today. They're down to forty five seventy seven. Yeah, it was a it was a toughie, and we talked about this. Uh, so what we're going to talk about on today's program uh, is a number of things that came up. Uh, our firm has an investment committee. We meet every Tuesday, and just happens to coincide with the show. Sometimes people ask, "Well, why Tuesday?" And the answer is because sometimes Mondays are holidays. That's <laughs> so a good we point. just wanted to be more consistent, so we chose Tuesday. Yeah. In fact, yesterday was a holiday. Market was closed. Indeed. Right? So uh, when we get together, and uh, we've got different advisors that join us from time to time around the country, and then we've got our core group at Little John Financial, and we get together every week and discuss things. And uh, you know, some of it is mechanical. Hey, every week we're going to just review some stuff. Okay, big yawn. But then some of it, is uh, we'll call it interesting but interesting can also be code for kind of scary a lot of unknown trying to predict the future and i feel like that's a little bit of what we're exploring right now so uh, what we want to talk about today for uh, investors in general okay as i want to talk today about how does one go about managing risk in your investments okay we want to talk a little bit about how do we define risk like what does it mean and then we're going to talk about the, the ways that professionals engage in trying to, uh, I'm, I'm going to say, like trying to put guardrails on your investments, right? And some people, uh, if you have no guardrails, I would I would suggest that that's not necessarily investing any longer. It's more like blind speculation, right? Uh, because investing, and the guardrails can be pretty simple, by the way. You can still be really aggressive and be an investor. But today I want to talk a little bit about that. So... All right. Uh, 
Matt, your your goal in your role today, other than you get to ask brilliant questions okay. and add tremendous color to this discussion, and also make sure that I am paying attention to the clock. <laughs> I can do that. So uh, I need like a sound so, effect, like what we were talking about, where I can hit a dinger and be like, ding, 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 ding. It's time to go off the yes, air, Yes, well, I'm sure it's still in there. You could do it. Like I said, I'm just going to push them until I get sound effects. <laughs> nice. Okay. Well, let's start with uh, the the first and foremost. Why do we need risk management in our investments? Well, right? I think now. Oh, I'm jumping in here. I have an idea. I think a good thing to talk about would be diversifying. What do you think? Right. Well, it's certainly a, a method for how we would manage it. But before that, just why do we care? Right. And and I want to tell you guys that I think there's a math reason that risk management's important. It's not often discussed. And it has to do with the fact that markets behave in a logarithmic fashion, if you will, because that's how exponential growth works, right? If if you think about, if I start with $10 and I earn 10%, now I have $11. And if I earn 10%, I don't make another dollar, I make a dollar 10, right? So now I have $12.10. If I make 10 cents on that, I'm gonna make you know, a dollar and 20 something or cents, right? So it's going to keep getting a little bit bigger. The interest is earning interest on the interest. And that's great when things are going up, but a lot of people miss what happens when it's going down. And, and so let's play a math game, Matt. Now I have not prepped him for this, but Matt, I happen to know in a prior life was a math teacher. So we're going to quiz him today. You ready, Matt? As long as it's not mental math, then we're good. It's totally mental math, and we are going to judge you oh. mercilessly on live radio. Okay, I'm so, ready. So first, if you have $100 and you lose 10%, how much do you have? We have 90 Okay, good. Now, let's play it a different way. If you have $100 and you lose 50%, how much do you have? 50 Okay, so back to our first example. If you have lost 10%, what rate of return do you need to get from $90 back to 100 Um Well, if we gained 10% for easy math, then we have $99. So we would need more than Correct. 10%. So I think that's the angle you're more. going for here. And that's the dirty secret that people often miss is that if you lose money, you actually need to make a higher percentage on the recovery to mm -hmm. dig out of the hole than it takes to fall in. So let's, let's extrapolate. If you lose 50% of your money, right, your $100 is now worth? 50. 50. Yeah. What rate of return do you need to get back to $100? You know, I don't know the number off the top of my head, but I bet you're pretty close. You, you do. You have to double it. Yeah. Right? You need a 100% return. If you had 100 and you fell to 50, you need to double your money and go from to go 50 back to 100. That's true. So a 50% loss requires a 100% gain on the flip side. So it's not an equal ratio, right? It takes more to dig out of the hole than it takes to fall into it if we're talking about percentages. And that's the sneaky part of this thing because, right, the markets talk about, oh, well, today we lose 1%, tomorrow we gain 1%. It's kind of a push. No, it's not. If you lose 1% and then gain 1% the next day, you're actually down. Now, if you gain 1% and 
first and then lose 1% after, you can still actually be up a little bit. So the sequencing returns actually matters, right? Yeah. As so, so there is part of the issue is if you have, there's two things we want to consider here. One is that you could have a series of up days and down days, but if you get a few of the, the down days first before the up days, if you ever need to come along and take a distribution from your account, it can really hurt more because you've dug a deeper hole, right? And then the, the other is that digging a hole requires even more effort to get out of the hole. So I think it's really important that we manage the risk in our investments. Right? I think that was because a good example. What we're really looking for is more wins than losses and more up days than down days, right? And we want the ups to be bigger than the downs. Fortunately, over time, the stock market does a lot of that for us. But our investments, if they're long-term, usually you can sort of ride through the bumps in the road. But right now, let's say you're in retirement or near retirement, and the market goes through a series of down, downward moves. That could be really tough because you have to start taking money out and the account's getting smaller. So here, let's, let's, let's just paint a word uh, picture for everybody. If you're listening, think about it like, I have a bucket of water, right? And if I have a, a ladle that I'm gonna come along with and every, every month, this is just like me taking retirement income out. I'm gonna put a ladle in that bucket, I'm gonna pull it out. And then I'm, and that, that's, that water's gonna be gone, right? Now, if I shrink the entire bucket, there's fewer ladles worth of water in the bucket, right? So 50% reduction in the size of the bucket, but the same size ladle means the water comes out faster. And that's kind of what the sequence of returns is important for us. You don't want that bucket of water to shrink too fast because you may run out of ladle scoops as you go. Yeah, I think that's pretty fair. Right? So what can we do? Now, now we'll get back to your, I think where you were headed down the path of it, We've established why we care, right? You know, some people are just, well, why don't we just invest? And, you know, it's long-term investment. Who cares? Well, I think we do care because what if through good behavior and good risk management, we could potentially enhance long-term returns because we were paying attention? Well, that that would be net beneficial. And so you, maybe just setting it and forgetting it isn't the total solution for your investments, yeah, you, know, you still want a long-term time horizon, and you want to, uh, you know, be opportunistic when things are on sale and so forth. But what if there are some other things that we could do to lower our risk? Right? Seems like it might be a decent idea. You with me so far, Matt? I'm following. Yep. Okay, good. Because at the next segment, we're going to start unpacking this, and I know you've got a list of stuff to share. Yep. But we're going to take our first. I've seen Profit Break right now. Now, you got to tell me not if they're playing the music because I can't hear it. I can hear the music, and we're headed to break. We'll be right back. This is yeah, Matt I'm Dixon and David Littlejohn. Um, we'll do this. Stick around. We'll be right back. This is Dave Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. Yeah, and Matt Dixon. And this is the True Wealth on News Radio 1240. Thank you again. What's going on, listeners? This is Matt Dixon, and with me today, David Littlejohn. David, can you hear us? I think we're back. 
back, and I think it's, it's interesting. We are. I don't hear a ton, believe it or not, but huh. I'm assuming you can hear me. Yep, I, I brought you in on the intro, so we're live. Let's go for it. Nailed it. All right. Well, then we'll remind everybody. It'll be a fun podcast to catch up on, won't it, Matt? Because yeah. it's like, well, it's a little disjointed, but hey, they, they made it work. Maybe it'll make them listen even harder. Like, uh. I can run with that. Yeah. All right. Well, remember, the podcast will be available tomorrow. Uh, check out our webpage. Go to littlejohnfs.com. You can also subscribe for it through iTunes. It's on Amazon Music and you know a bunch of other places, too. So um, make sure to dial in for that. Uh, also, a reminder, we have a YouTube channel also. So if you want to see what we all look like on occasion, those are going to be happening more and more. Uh, you can find that on our webpage also and we've got some links to all the videos and of course youtube will show you how to subscribe to that good stuff so well look matt let's talk about risk management today here the markets are getting a little shaky first have we talked about why we think the markets are a little shaky yeah we did didn't we or did we not I don't, we have on other programs i know you know what what uh, what are some of the things that are going on right now well, I know that the Fed is talking about raising rates, and that's caused a little bit of volatility to enter the market. Um, what else do we got, dude? Yeah, we're seeing it, right? I mean, what did we, we saw the 10-year. It's mm -hmm. drifting higher. What do you got for us? What do you think yeah, might so be just causing even, some more and, and if you, if you guys, so for all of our listeners, when I say something is dismissive as, oh, yeah, the 10-year is drifting higher, what that means in financial speak is the 10-year treasury yield is going higher. Now, if yields are going higher, that means the price of bonds is falling. And that makes sense because a bond is you loaning money to somebody, right? Hey, I'm going to buy a treasury bond. I'm going to loan somebody money. Treasury bond is 10 years. So that's a 10 year loan, right? And if you were thinking to yourself, hey, why don't I make a loan right now in a period of higher inflation? Because that's a great way to protect my purchasing power. I would tell you you're nuts, right? Because if inflation is going up, and you're, you're going to get paid back with weaker dollars. So everybody's thinking, well, I don't want to loan money out and get paid back with weaker dollars. So they stop making the loans, which is the same as saying, hey, we're not going to buy treasuries right now, not at these prices. And if that's the case, then the price drops. Because in order to sell a treasury, you got to make the price meet demand. So no demand, lower price, lower price, higher yield. So that's that weird relationship there. But that also changes the price of everything in the stock market. Why? Have we talked about that one too, Matt? Why does the price change if interest rates change? Because the cost to borrow money changes. That is a huge part of it. Yeah. There's also another one that's often overlooked. It has to do with pricing models. Okay, right? elaborate on so, that for the listeners. Know, well, what happens is a, a, you have a whole profession out there of financial analysts, okay? And what analysts are trying to do is determine the value of an investment. So let's, you know, we've talked about Tesla before as a, a fun one. Tesla's an interesting one because there are people out there analyzing the company, trying to predict its future value. And they're trying to come up with a mathematical formula that explains how they got the value of Tesla. And they do this for all kinds of different companies. So, you know, if you want to buy banks, then you can apply these formulas to all the different banks and get a sense of what the value might be. And that formula is supposed to explain the price. One of the variables is the cost 
of money, right? So we have the risk-free rate of return is a typical way to analyze the cost of money, and that's one of the one of the components of that is the ten-year treasury yield. So if you change the yield, you're changing the variables. If you change the variables, it changes the answer to the problem, right? Yeah. So that's kind of the thing. It's like, oh well, so big deal. The treasuries are moving a little bit. It is a big deal. Because for a lot of, like as an example, one of the major pricing components for mortgages, a ten-year treasury, it's not the only thing, right? But it, but it influences the price of mortgages. Mortgages get more expensive. Real estate gets more expensive. Real estate gets more expensive. People have less buying power or less, less discretion over their income because more of it has to be committed to housing, which means demand drops in other areas of the economy, which then affects the price of stuff. I think we lost uh, yeah, you there for a so minute, David. I did just get a note from Justin, who's listening. We should just have Justin call into the show. Heaven's sake, he's driving back from our Salem branch, and he he talked about CapM. You know what that is? This is a trick question for Matt. You're not supposed to know, by the way. Cap, but you M? might. CapM. Oh, I don't know that I do capital know. Capital asset pricing model. Mm. And that is part of it, right? The capital asset pricing model is one of the types of formulas for pricing stocks. So, anyway. We're in the weeds of this thing. Our listeners don't care, right? They're like, Dave, we don't care. Let's just move on. We get it. Ten-year treasury influences the stock market and the bond market and the mortgage market and the, you know, the ankle bones connected to your elbow. We get it. What do they care about, so, David? Yeah, but, but do you care? Now, you know, you, you will later. But for now, we'll, we'll say if all of this has, has – created an issue where for a long time there really wasn't many places you could go with your investment dollars right your mm -hmm. investment dollars it's like well are you going to go buy treasuries they're paying you nothing no you're going to go put it in the bank it's paying you nothing no what are you going to do well, i'm kind of forced into the like the this is a terrible description it's going to make so many people mad but it's like having to buy the prettiest horse in the glue factory right oh, it's man. just it's a bad deal, right? So, you know, well, we don't have a choice. We're going to go get stocks, and we're going to find the lowest risk stocks we can. But what that does is it forces people into the stock market because there's nowhere else to go. Well, with rising rates, there might be somewhere else to go now, Ooh. and that means demand comes out of the stock market. And then we get days like today where the markets are down almost two percent. Right. Okay, that was a long roundabout way to get there, wasn't it, Matt? You know. It set a good foundation, so I think it was needed. <laughs> like, it's like, I'm not going to say no on the air, Dave. It <laughs> was a terrible idea. Oh. All right. So let's talk about some strategy. What we've established is there's risk in the markets, and we don't think that you should just invest willy-nilly per se, that better risk management can lead to better outcomes. But what are some of the things we can do to lower our risk? Some of these are dumb obvious. Or are they, right? Let's talk about the first one, Matt. What's something that people can do to help reduce risk as an investor? I think I was mentioning diversify a few minutes ago as a way Absolutely. to. What yeah. do you mean by that? Well, I mean, we look at it, and a lot of people, the way they've been investing has been really tech-heavy, um, super high-growth companies, and maybe you could start adding other areas to your portfolio that diversify some of that um, risk away. 
Yeah, but I'm talking even a higher level than that. I mean, that's certainly uh, an example of something you could do to become more diversified as an investor. Mm -hmm. But what do we even mean? Like, what's the first thing about diversification? Right. I mean, there's an there's an age old expression. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Right. Maybe right? don't put all of your eggs into Apple, for example. One. Yes. So that's like everything if you're – well, because there, there's an old expression too, right? If you want to get rich, concentrate. But if you want to stay rich, diversify. Ooh, I right? like if that. If you bet the farm on Apple and you're right, you can make a lot of money. You know, ask anybody that bet the farm on Bitcoin a few years ago, right? You made a lot of money. But if you want to stay rich, the smart money diversifies, mm -hmm. right? So if you want to get rich, concentrate. If you want to stay rich, diversify because it's risk management. So – I guess the first thing is, how can you properly diversify, Matt? I think one thing that you can do is look at all of the different sectors and say, okay, where is the market moving and where do I think I should be putting some of my money? Yep. And here's, my, here's a fun one. So should I just buy tech stocks? Uh, I don't think so. I wouldn't. Well, what, what if, all right, wait, wait a second, wait a second. What if, what if I were to just buy uh, like Intel and NVIDIA and AMD and, uh, you know, some of the other semiconductor names out there? Mm -hmm. Could I do that? I mean, I own lots of different positions. Sure, I mean, you I'm can do that, right? but yeah, I mean, you're bringing up a good example. But if interest rates go up and the tech sector is one of the first to get hit by an interest rate hike, then you know, your entire investment is being affected by that and you're losing more than if you had been diversified and maybe in some defensive stocks. So what we're talking about here is diversification just by having multiple names doesn't necessarily mean you're that diversified exactly. mathematically. Mm -hmm. And that's because some stocks really act similarly. They walk and talk alike. This is the phenomenon I like to say. It's the Home Depot and Lowe's phenomenon, right? They, their business model is to like build stores across the street from each other, right? They, they, you know, you can't put, Lowe's doesn't get to have a store somewhere without Home Depot wanting to show up and within a mile or so put a store up. And there, there's, there's some marketing reasons for that. But it's also, if you think about it as an investor, if I buy Home Depot and Lowe's stock, Technically, I'm diversified, but I'm not getting a lot of benefit of diversification because of another shun, not diversification, but correlation. correlation. Ah, I got Matt. it. Points for Matt. Yes, you did. And, and so the, the, the correlation component, very, very important. Now, if you've listened to the show for a while, you know I talk about three shuns in this in scenario, right? Diversification, correlation, and allocation. And Matt has been hinting at all of those, but what he's doing is he's, he's talking about how we execute on that professionally. But for you as a listener, if you, or if you're a do-it-yourself investor, what do you need to be doing? Well, diversification is owning more than one thing. Now, how many things do you need to own to be diversified? 7,000. How about that? Th that would do it. <laughs> but it, is right? 7,000 more useful than, say, 100 different positions? You know, that's a great question. 
So let's play a mental exercise to help our listeners think about this. Matt, we're going to flip a coin. Okay. okay? And we're going to flip it just one time. What are our odds of heads or tails? I hope it's still 50-50. It should be 50-50. I mean, I've heard people say, what if it lands on its edge? And I'm going to say, let's pretend it can't do that. So 50-50 heads or tails. Now, if I flip a coin twice, what's the probability that I get both heads? Uh, It would be one-fourth. Right. And both tails, also Mm one-fourth. One head and one tail should be about half the time. And if you've ever been in a math class, uh, we're doing something called a Punnett square. It's a simple option grid here. But what happens is that the odds keep changing. If I introduce a third coin flip, what are the odds that all three of them are heads? Now it's, yeah, keep going one half times one one half times one half. Right? But it's, and it gets harder and harder. Like if I have 10 coin flips, what's the chance that all 10 of them are heads? One over two to the power of 10. Right. It's, it's very low. If I have 20 coin flips what's the chance that all 20 of them are heads one over two to the power of 20 it's getting real slim exactly and so what will happen here now we're getting into math teacher land by the Mm -hmm. way this is totally math wheelhouse yeah we're starting to talk about experimental probability theoretical probability talking about statistics right and we were putting these on a bell curve and we're saying where's the probability that you get everything to be a 10 it's way way out on one side of the bell curve Right. Like it's, it doesn't happen hardly ever. Not impossible, but it's very improbable. What's the chance that about half of them are heads and half of them are tails? Right in the middle of the bell curve happens all the time. Right. Especially so, with the more times you flip the coin. The more times you flip the coin, the more likely you are to sort of gather around the middle of the bell curve. And I feel like that's now, kind of an analogy for how long you're in the market. Well, it sort of is, because here's the thing. When you try to measure how far out something is on the bell curve, it's a thing that we use in investing a lot, something we call standard deviation. Okay? It's just a statistical measure that suggests, well, how far away from the average is it, Tip, you know, a typical average. Uh, used another way, think of it like A students, B students, C students. Most of the students are C students. One standard deviation away is the B students or the D students on the other side. Two standard deviations is the A students or the F students. You get out to three, four, five standard deviations. It's the A plus 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 student, right? And so it gets pretty rare to have somebody that's way, way out there. Same is true with investing is if you start to have uh, to get an outcome that's really irregular, it's hard. It's statistically irregular. Now, why are we using coin flips as our example? I think, David, that we should take them to the break and let them find out afterwards. Fair enough. Let's do it, Matt. Take us home. All right. Everyone, you've been listening to Matt Dixon and David Littlejohn, and this is The True Wealth Show. We'll see you here in a minute. All right, guys. Welcome back to The True Wealth Show. David Littlejohn is with us today over the phone. And we are talking investments. David, what do you got for us? All right. I hear we're back on. That means we're going to get back in the weeds. Matt, can you still hear me? I can hear you now. So where did we leave our listeners off at? Well, we were talking about 
the coin flip phenomenon. Uh, and again, if you're just getting back on board with this, grab the podcast at Little John FS tomorrow, and you can get caught up. It's under the Educate tab. But the, the, the whole idea of we're, we're talking about risk management today in investments and diversification is a concept. And how much does it take to get diversified, right? And so that's really what I was, was painting this picture for our listeners, thinking about flipping a coin. And remember, if you flip a coin once, it's a heads or tails event, 50-50. Twice, though, the likelihood that both flips are heads is only a 25% outcome probability. If you flip it 10 times in a row, the probability that you get all 10 of them in a row to be heads is really a low probability. And you get out to 20 times, you flip 20 times, all 20 of them are heads? Are you kidding me? It's almost unheard of. It's not that it's impossible, but it's improbable. And so that's what the, the term probabilities are useful for. And so we were talking about how, how likely is a probable outcome. And we started to use things like standard deviation. Now, all, all of you listening, who cares about standard deviation, right? That's why you have... Uh, financial pros that that can help you grind through this stuff. And if you are going to do it yourself, then you care enough that you're like, well, oh, tell me more, right? So here's the the question, Matt. What? How many positions does it take to get to fairly diversified? And if I had and to throw a guess a math out there, question, right? Yeah, I was going to guess There's maybe not... twenty. Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, tell. Give me. An, I mean, you you can give me a number, and don't worry, I'm not. So this is not advice. Matt's not about to give you guys the number like, well, Matt said so and therefore so. That's We're not doing it that way, right? But I'm going to go have a discussion here. Yeah. What I'm going to go Matt? 20 to 25. You know what? I think that's a really good number. Uh, and, and it's not derived by taking a number out of a hat, right? There are a lot of people that will say, well, you should own hundreds of positions. And you can do that. But statistically there's not a very big difference in standard deviation between say 20 or 25 stocks and a thousand stocks you can believe that you have a thousand stocks and you get very little additional diversification benefit mathematically right it's and and what we call this is sort of diminishing marginal return it's this flattening where you go from oh well our standard deviation went from 20 point O two to nineteen point nine eight. You know, really? So I, you know, and then if we, but if we had a hundred more positions, so when it goes from nineteen point nine eight to nineteen point eight nine, you know, boy, that didn't move the needle very much. Well, no, beyond a certain point, the needle doesn't move a whole lot more for lots, lots more diversification. And wouldn't you so, say it's also almost harder to get a higher return when you're that diversified and have hundreds of positions where? As if you had, you know, picked 20 or, you know, 30 positions really well. Well, you know, I don't know that it's higher to get. It's harder. to. I don't know if it's harder to get a higher return. I know where you're going with this. And I'm, I'm going to kind of not answer it directly. I'm going to I'm going to give you something else because you're right, Matt, that if you only have 20 stocks and you're able to successfully pick five or six of them that outperform mm -hmm. and you pick more outperformers than underperformers, you can outperform because you don't have to take as many swings, right? right? You don't need as many at-bats. Plus, plus, here's the other issue, right? If you have 5,000 stocks in your investment portfolio and one of them is a huge outperformer, 
it's not going to make a real big difference because you mm-hmm. just can't own enough of it to really move the needle very much. You're going to sort of become an index. So you're going to start to walk and talk like the whole market when you're super diversified. Now, if the whole market goes up, that works to your benefit. But if the whole market does not go up and only sections of the market go up, then you may find yourself uh, watered down and not able to keep up with the best performing sectors. Of course, there are lots of people that will say, you know, it's really hard to pick the best performing sectors. And that's true, right? It is really hard to do that. But if your goal is outperformance, you can almost assure yourself that you can't outperform if you walk, talk, and more or less are the market. That's a really you good will explanation. Get market performance if you are the market. Yeah. So don't expect outperformance if that's what you do. Right? I like it. So if you're looking for outperformance, then you, you don't necessarily, you want to be diversified to manage risk, but you don't want to be so watered down that you cannot take meaningful positions. I, I do love this. There's a quote from Warren Buffett. It's a great quote. He says, diversification is protection from ignorance. Very accurate, right? Mm-hmm. So if you don't if you don't have the tools to do the research and pick the investments that you want, then you really should consider just sort of owning the general market at large, because the market at large has done pretty well over time. But you know if you're if you are otherwise ignorant, then don't go take foolish bets, right? Mm-hmm. Go ahead and just participate in the markets at large. But if you can otherwise do the work then you may have an opportunity to outperform if you can diversify enough and then you can uh, you, you can make sure that your investments are non-correlated so the diversification is working for you and then you can allocate in the right spots, right? And that can be allocation amongst stocks or bonds. It could be allocation to different sectors of the market, different market caps, but it's the idea that how much you put in the different investments matters. If you have 20 investments, but 10 of them are the better performers and you happen to out, you happen to overweight to those 10, you could do really well. If you happen to overweight to the 10 that do poorly, you could do really poorly, right? So the percentage of weighting also matters. Yeah. So, so, so. those are three of the big keys to uh building an investment portfolio like the, the 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 basic building blocks of putting on putting it together you know there's a bunch more though that we talk about too give Matt, me an example of a couple more other thoughts about what somebody could do yeah to help manage risk um yeah i mean you could use cash as a way to manage risk um or you could do some dollar cost averaging there's a lot of different things that we could do Cash is so forgotten, isn't it? I it's feel like funny it is. To me, people often think of cash like it's not an investment. Like if it, well, you're just sitting on cash, it's not earning anything. And and I say, aha. But it's, but not, it's not losing. Losing. Right? Yeah. Cash is dry powder. If the markets are going down, I feel pretty good sitting in cash, especially if I can buy stuff on sale. Mm-hmm. Right? And now the cash not so constructive when the markets are going up. But I like to have a little cash around because it does two things. It buys me time and it, and it gives me opportunity, right? Opportunity if a sale comes along and I want to buy a little more and buys me time because I'm not 
forced to sell something at an inopportune time if I can tap into cash first in the event that I need to access some money. Right. So that's yeah. a, that's strategic. That's planning. That's financial planning, not just investment management. I feel like we've talked on the show quite a bit about dollar cost averaging, um, but yeah, have we talked a ton about hedging. We haven't talked a lot about hedging, and I think that's really an interesting topic right now, uh, especially given what the markets are doing right now. You know, I, I think we could lump hedging into probably two big buckets. And and here's the question, Matt. I guess my question is, do we want to start talking about hedging now? Do we want to try to sneak in our last break and then talk about hedging? You know what? I like your idea. Let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll wrap this whole thing up. All right. This is Matt Dixon and David Littlejohn. And you guys are listening to The True Wealth Show here on 1240 KQEN. All right. Welcome back, everybody. We've got David Littlejohn on the phone with us, and we've been talking about some ways to protect that money. So, David, we've got some wrapping up to do. We've only got 10 minutes. All right, gang. We are back from the last of the obscene profit breaks. You're tuning into the True Wealth Show. I'm your host, Dave Littlejohn. Uh, Not in studio today, but uh, you know what, Matt? Thanks for holding down the fort. You got it. So, gang, here we are on the home stretch. And uh, again, grab the podcast if you're just getting caught up with us at littlejohnfs.com. We wanted to talk about the last of some risk management elements that we were going to cover on today's show, and that is hedging, right? Now, hedging, of course, we all know is getting a really cleanly pruned bush in the yard, right? That's exactly what we mean. That's what we call our landscape guy for, but what about when we're talking to our investment advisor? (laughs) Well, it's undeterred. Like, no, I'm not going with that joke. Too stupid, Dave. Ah. Um, So hedging, okay? First of all, what, what are we really talking about? Hedging can mean a couple of different things. It is often uh, thought of as you're you're buying something with the expectation that the price may go the opposite, right? So you're you're buying things that move in opposite directions. You can buy something that is going to go up in price and then simultaneously buy something else that goes down in price with the expectation that if they were to switch roles, they would essentially sort of uh, I guess off offset the loss from the other. So one is making money while the other one's losing money. They offset the losses a little bit. And that is a form of hedging. It's the idea that you want to stay sort of neutral in your positioning. Okay. So uh, there are a couple of other ways, though, that, that hedging comes into investment management because we've got the introduction over the last, oh, really 15 years or so, we've had this big proliferation of hedge funds, right? Mm-hmm. And a, a hedge fund is different than a mutual fund. It's still a professional investment management group, right? But they have different rules. They deal with high net worth or accredited investors. And so they'll get uh, these folks, they'll put the money into a, 
a pot, if you will, a pooled investment, and then they have a manager that goes out and buys things. But the hedge fund isn't necessarily hedging. That's just the name of the structure. They may just go buy investments. They may do private placements where they're buying things that are not available in the public market, so stocks that aren't traded on exchanges yet. They're privately held companies and so forth. So there's a lot of different things that hedge funds can do. Sometimes they buy precious metals. Sometimes they trade with options. Uh, sometimes they own whole companies, right? So hedge funds are kind of an interesting animal, but they do help to explore and explain what hedging can do. So the simple hedging that I think we want to talk about today that's more accessible for most of the retail investors out there, that's you, me, our listeners, and so forth, is you can you can buy options. Or an inverse or fund. You, yep. You, or you can buy some hedges that are produced by exchange-traded funds. As an example, you can buy exchange-traded mutual, or they're, they're not really mutual funds, they're called an exchange-traded fund. It trades like a stock, even though it's a fund, that goes down when the market goes up, or it goes up when the market goes down, right? So they have inverse funds. Now, you need to be very, very careful. The fact that these exist is not us recommending that you go purchase these. That's not what's happening right now. The fact that these uh, instruments exist is so that you can be aware that they're out there, okay? So you can buy investments that will go will behave the opposite of a of a market index so you know you can get the they have tr uh, investments where if the 10-year treasury go yield goes up then the price of the investment goes down and vice versa so they're they're out there okay those can be used to hedge because you may say hey you know what i've got uh, instead of having 100 percent of my investment in uh, an investment where the, the market goes up uh, I win, but if the market goes down, I lose, then the hedge is a way to say, well, maybe I'll take a portion of my money and use that to uh, make money if the markets are going down. So you're playing on the opposite side of the bet, right? And options can be, be good for that too, because options work like insurance contracts. You can essentially buy the right to sell or buy an investment at a price or a period of time. Yes, what I just said makes sense if you listen to it again. You can buy the right to sell something for a price, and then if the price falls, you can sell it for higher than it's worth and make money, right? And so forth. And, and there's the last one on the list that we're not going to talk a whole lot about is you could bet against the market, right? You could short the market, meaning mm. I could sell a stock before I own it, and then I can buy it back at a lower price if, this, if the stock falls. So these are all different methods that you can use to hedge a portfolio or otherwise protect in a declining market. So I realize we're not talking about how to do it. We're just talking about the fact that these are available. And that's, that's what we're talking about on today's show. Why are we not talking about how to do it? Because it's not easy. And because there's some math and some other issues. And I don't want to get – I don't want you listening out there to say like, well, you guys told us to go hedge. No, that's not what I said that it's available and it's a part of risk management. And so we do not hide things from our listeners or assume you're too, you know, you, you can't understand it, but we're just, today's not the hedging show about how deep in the weeds can we go. But so we threw it all out there and now people have an understanding of the different options that exist. It's true. And that's the next thing after this call for me or this uh, rather this uh, show today 
is to communicate to our investors because we have to discuss some of the things that we are doing for our clients. Now, I had to go into it on the radio here, but if you're interested, you can log, you know, join our YouTube channel. It'll be available there. So anyway, it's, is it just me, Matt, or are we really close? To the I think I hear the music, David, so I think we're out of time. If you want to reach us, give us a call at 541-375-0898 or shoot us an email at info at littlejohnfs.com. The preceding program was paid for by Little John Financial Services. The opinions and views expressed may not reflect those of Brook Communications, its affiliates, or its employees.